tonight uh, I'm going to piggyback a little bit off what, of what Pete talked about last week, uh, which is accountability uh, and uh, dealing with our sin and becoming more the people that uh, you know that we're called to be and living the life that you know we're supposed to live. Uh, and when I was writing the list now, you know, I tried to title them, and I was going to call this one questions or. You know, uh, and I'll explain that later. But really, it doesn't work. So we're just calling accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I will start off with a little thing about questions. Has anybody in here recently or often been on job interviews? You guys ever go on a job interview? Anybody? Are you guys a bunch of bums? No job interviews? <laughs> uh, okay, it's pretty awkward, pretty nervous, right? Well, I, I'm in a season of my life right now where I've kind of been on a bunch of them. Uh, I've been trying to get this teaching job, and I finally did. But So I, I was going through a bunch of interviews. Um, I had about three or four of them. And this last interview, has anybody ever embarrassed themselves, like, completely? In, in a job interview, uh, obviously, uh, you know that's what I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you a story about this past one that I had, where it was really embarrassing. Um, actually, for you guys, you'll say it's not that embarrassing, but for me, it was awkward. Um, so I go to this interview, and it's over here at Ryle, and I'm I'm with a few principals, and uh, and like I said, it's like my third or fourth interview, so I know all the teacher questions that they're gonna ask me. Why do you want to be a teacher? Why did you go into this? And you know, I'm ready to knock them down with all the good answers. I love kids. I want to see them change. I want to see them learn, make a better society, all those things. Um, and so I go in the interview, they're asking me those things, I'm spitting them out one after the other, I'm like, you know, left, right, knock them dead. Um, and eventually we get through, like, all that kind of fluff, and they start to ask me stuff about, like, my classroom, like, you know, what's your classroom going to look like, are you going to do this? And, you know, that's always tough, because different schools may want different things, and so I always try to read their language and give them what they want to hear type thing, which is probably not a good interview <laughs> tip. Uh, just be yourself. Uh, but, uh, but that wasn't what I was doing, uh, and so... The, the guy, uh, the principal asked me, he's like, so in your class, um, uh, is there going to be a lot of writing? What do you think about writing? Is that important? And uh, and so, you know, for me, I'm thinking, oh, this is a softball. He wants me to talk about how good writing is. I'm going to, you know, knock it home. So I start going off. You know, I'm a rambler. You can already tell I'm rambling. I, uh, I, I start going, oh, writing's great. It's the most important thing. You got to, like, you got to write, you know, there'll be essay questions on every test. We'll write portfolio projects, papers, research, sources, no Wikipedia, which I love. <laughs> uh, uh, all those things. I'm like, oh, writing, you know, higher level thinking makes them generate the information, put it together, and a lot of, you know. And about, and I was like, it's so much better than multiple choice where you just have to, like, recognize or identify something. And as soon as I said that, he gave me, like, the bitter beer face. Like, like and I was like, <laughs> you know, I thought I was just knocking it home. And he gave me that face. And as soon as I got done with that whole disc ride, it was like, at that point, I gave up. I just, like, jumped on the grenade. And, um... But as soon as I get down, he's like, so uh, how come all the ACT and SAT is all multiple choice? <laughs> and I was like, and so then I get my ramble on again and go back the whole way. I'm like, well, and really, writing's not good for me. <laughs> and uh, I'm taking it the whole other way. Um, and luckily, I ended up getting a job. I don't know how. Uh, and obviously, that's not as embarrassing uh, as I made it out to be. But it was really dumb because he kind of... He made me walk all over myself, back and forth. And he made the point at the end, though, that the key to being a great teacher is questioning. Whether it's essay questions, whether it's multiple choice, many, like a good teacher gets to the heart of a student by asking good questions. Um, and I'm going to relate that to accountability somehow uh, in a second here. Um, but real quick, I just want to pray. 
Um, I know we already did, but for my own sake. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about questions and accountability and things like that. Dear Jesus, um, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for the chance to, uh, to share a little bit about what I'm learning, to talk about you, Jesus. As Nick prayed, uh, I pray that you speak to us, that you meet us where we're at, uh, that you help us become more like yourself, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm going to just kind of put this analogy out there. And if you get this, I think the whole talk will kind of make sense. You might remember. If you don't get this, you're going to think I'm an idiot. Uh, accountability. It's like a three trifecta. Three things. Um, you'll have the bride. You'll have the groom. And you'll have the friend of the groom. Okay? The bride, the groom, the friend of the groom. Uh, the bride is us being held accountable. You know, we're, we're Jesus' bride. Uh, we want to please him. Uh, we want him to accept us and love us. We're the bride. The groom is God. It's Jesus. He, he wants us to be all that we can be, to, uh, to eliminate sin from our life, uh, to handle our sin correctly, like, uh, like Pete was talking about last week. The groom. Then the friend of the groom. That's also us when we are holding the bride accountable. Does that make sense? So, like you and your accountability partner are you and the people in your Bible study are the bride and the friend of the groom. But then Jesus is the groom. Okay? Uh, hopefully that will make sense. Alright. Back to the idea uh, of a great teacher. Um, in accountability, we're trying to, uh, you know, handle situations in our life, manage our sin, eliminate it if we can. Uh, somebody needs to teach us. And obviously, that teacher is going to be Jesus. Um, we have to see Jesus as our teacher. Um, a lot of times when we uh, are coming to Christ or right after we come to Christ, we, we hear um, a lot of atheists or, or people of other faiths will say, well, I accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but he's not God. He's not Savior. He's a great moral teacher. And so what we learn early as Christians is, is Jesus is so much more than a great moral teacher. He is Savior. He is God. He is all these things. And while that's true, we can't forget that Jesus is a great teacher. He is, he is his, his word, his purpose, in a lot of senses on earth, was to teach us and to show us, show us what the kingdom is like and how to live. Um, there's a quote by Dallas Willard, and I'm looking down and it's not on my paper. Uh, but he said, um, he said, we have to understand that Jesus Christ was the smartest person, the wisest person, the greatest teacher that has ever walked the face of the earth. And that's like, you know, understatement of the year. Like, uh, you know, Jesus is God. He kind of knows everything. He's the smartest person, wisest person. But if we really thought about it that way, if Jesus is the smartest, wisest, greatest teacher on earth, we would take what he said a lot more seriously. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, smartest person on earth, That's those are the Einsteins and the Blaise Pascals and the Mozarts and the prodigies. But, uh, but Jesus Christ, smartest person, greatest teacher on earth. We should probably look at what he says. Um, somebody um, that's going to be the second point I'm all over the place already uh, somebody open up 2 Corinthians 5 9 we're going to begin now with the bride being as, as far as being held accountable okay, mm -hmm. just 9 uh, yeah 2 Corinthians 5 9 so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. 
Alright. So Paul's doing this discourse here in 2 Corinthians about the resurrection and life here on earth and after, you know, after we die. But the part I want to get at there is we make it our goal to please Him. As the bride, as the person who wants to be held accountable, and we want our lives held accountable, uh, we have to first understand that our goal in life is to please Him. How many people... This, how many people in here have an accountability partner or meet in some form of accountability with your Bible study or with a pastor? Do most of us have people like that? Alright. Um, I'll be honest right now. I do not have an accountability partner. Pot calling the kettle black. Uh, but we meet for accountability in our Bible study and I'm trying to remedy, remedy that other side. But the idea here is, have you ever been in that situation in accountability where you just like one person is doing really, really well with Christ and the other person is just struggling. Have you ever been there? Where, you know, you come to leadership. It doesn't even have to be accountability. It can just be, you know, somebody asking you a question. And, and somebody comes to you and they say, so, uh, how's club going? And your club is, like, down the tube. And, like, you know, they're running club of, like, 100. And you're just, like, immediately you feel, like, sick to your stomach. Like, oh, it's okay. Uh, you know, like, you just don't want that... And we kind of feel this pressure when we're being held accountable to somebody else to measure up to them. It, how is my club doing compared to yours? How is How many quiet times am I having compared to how many quiet times you're having? Um, and I love the verse in 2 Corinthians 5.9, we make it our goal to please Him. It's important to know in accountability, we are to be held accountable to Christ. Um, the friend of the friend of the groom, our accountability partner, is going to help hold us accountable to Christ. We're not accountable to them. Does that make sense? So when I meet with Pete for accountability, it's not oh yeah, uh, you know I meet with Pete for accountability. I'm accountable to Pete. It's like no, I meet with Pete because I'm accountable to Christ. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the analogy I have is uh, is that piano player. Remember a few weeks ago, leadership we did the piano player who was playing, and the, the master comes in and interweaves his mistakes and makes more good. Well, same idea, but imagine this piano player is playing the concert and the, the hall is sold out, hundreds of dollars per ticket. And as he plays, the crowd is cheering and wooing and on and all this. But all he cares about is he keeps looking over his shoulder at his master. What's my master think? What's my instructor think? Does that make sense? Um, as, as the bride, as somebody who wants to be held accountable, um, we're not accountable to our partner we're accountable to God. Um, a couple other quotes uh, from this guy named Oswald Chambers, uh, who's a guy I read a lot in my quiet times. He does a devotional, um, My Utmost for His Highest. Um, really good. I recommend it. I just tell my wife, anytime I'm struggling with like quiet times, wondering what to read and stuff, I always come back to Oswald Chambers. But he says this, um, I must learn to relate everything to the primary goal maintaining it without interruption. My worth to God publicly is measured by what I really am in my private life. My worth to God publicly is measured by what I really am in my private life. Um, Another quote by him. Is my primary goal in life to please God or do I settle for less, no matter how great it may sound? A lot of times, if you're like me, when we think of accountability and sitting down with somebody um, and having them ask us the tough questions and ask us, you know, how our quiet times are going, how our ministry is going, um, what are we doing with our time and our money, you know, we just get sick. Like, oh, I just, I don't want to be that broken. I don't want to be that naked. Uh, they're, they're not going to like what they see 
when they when they ask these questions. But I love that quote: "Our worth to God, our value to God, publicly, is only measured by who we are in our private lives." So no matter how hard it is to uh, to confess to somebody or to have somebody ask you the tough questions, we have to want it. We have to want people in our lives asking us, what are we doing with our late nights? What are we doing with our free time? What are we doing with, um, with the word? What are we doing with going up to the school and giving our lives away? All those accountability questions. Um, it says, is, is my primary goal in life to please God or do I settle for something less? How many people in here want to run a really big club? He has a really home. I want to own a big club. I would, I would dream of having a hundred kids or more at our club. Um, I lose my voice really quick, so that's why I keep drinking this. Um, how many people want to take a ton of people camp? You want to take the biggest camp trip in the area? I probably do. How many people want you know all those things that we want publicly? You know, we we associate value with those things. I love that quote. Uh, is is it my primary goal to please God, or do I settle for something less? How often do I settle for wanting to run a big club? I settle for dreaming about camp numbers, thinking, oh, if I can get these camp numbers, then I'll be a good leader. Good leader? Screw that. Please God. You know what I mean? Like, um, I, I love that. Do I settle for something less? Because we, we, can, we can fabricate huge things that we need to do. Uh, um, to be a good Christian or to be a good person. Um, but our primary goal is to please God. Um, does anybody know any scripture on that, by the way? I, I got three of them. I have How does that say? Um, whatever you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. There you go. Whether, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Any other? Somebody look up First uh, Thessalonians 2.4. I bet somebody knows this one. Galatians 1.10. Has anybody got Galatians 1.10? Memorize. If I search you off, am I now trying to win the approval of men or am I still trying to please God? If I, uh, Am I now trying to win the approval of God or of men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Is that how it is? Mm-hmm. I think I missed a part of it there. Galatians 1.10. Is that right? Yeah, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but if God, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Yep. Galatians 1 And then, did somebody get First First Thessalonians 2 4? Yep. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. Yeah. Men approved by God, not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. Um. As the bride, in that trifecta of accountability, we have to make it our goal to please God. Only please God. Everything else, club, camp, uh, great leadership lessons, campaigner lessons, all that comes out of pleasing God. Um, starts with that. To get there, we have to have people asking us questions. We have to have... Um, we have to let Jesus speak into our life. We have to have a friend of the groom who's going to direct us. Um, but as as the bride, we have to want the tough questions. And I know that's tough. Um, next part. Um, this is where it all maybe will tie together. So, Jesus is the great teacher. Jesus 
asks us the tough questions. Have you ever been in that situation in accountability or in a Bible study where like you want to know what's going on in somebody's life but you just don't know how to ask it? Um, or you just don't know what the right question is? Um, one of the things I just recently uh, decided I wanted to do is I wanted to go through the Gospels and look at how Jesus interacted with his followers, with the people around him, Pharisees, the disciples, the crowds. And I said, you know, I'm going to go through the book of Mark, and every time Jesus asks a question, I'm going to look at that context and look at the scenario and see how it was. Um, and, you know, I'm in the midst of it. It's a really, really cool study. I love doing studies like that. Um, but you, you can find all kinds of life situations that you're going through. And it's like, if Jesus was here and watched me go through this, what, what question would he ask me? Uh, and, you know, I found a few. Um, so I'm going to give you three questions from, uh, from Jesus' mouth that I think are good accountability questions. Um, and, uh, you know, these are questions that we see in Scripture in a situation um, of Jesus addressing people in their hearts. Um, then... My goal is, at some point, when you're meeting in your Bible study, that you can, you can phrase these differently, but you, as the friend of the groom, will get to echo Jesus' questions into people's life. And we'll see if it gets to that. Um, but here are the three questions. The first question. Why are you thinking these things? And we'll look at where Jesus asks these in a little bit. Why are you thinking these things? The second question, are you using your resources? Are you using, or you could even put how are you using your resources? And then the third question is, how are your relationships within the body? How are your relationships within the body? And I think, um, you know, like I said, I was going through the Gospel of Mark and just looking at all the times Jesus asked questions, and there's a ton of them. You could do a whole leadership or a whole campaigners or a whole devotional on those things. But I just picked three that I thought were really applicable to um, accountability. Um, so the first one, and what I'll let you do before we get into it, why are you thinking these things? This has to be asked in accountability because our thought life is the wellspring, if you will. Um, you know, what comes out of, what is inside a person is what ends up coming out, our thought life. So when we're in accountability, we have to ask each other about our thought lives. Um, I wrote down a few things here that are thought-related sins or thought-related problems. Lust, worry, Fear, jealousness, or envy. Those are all things, and there's tons of others, materialism, uh, lots of others. But lust, worry, um, all sins related to your thoughts. As accountability partner, we can let Jesus ask us these questions. I'm going to give you just a few seconds with the people around you or on your own. Look up, for me, some scriptures on maintaining a pure thought life or controlling your thought life. Is that cool? If I let you guys have a little time, use your concordance, flip around. Um, try and find some scriptures 
on having a pure thought line. So get down at 7.30. I know that's not a ton of time, but um, what are some verses that people got on your thought life, maintaining a pure thought life, thinking about uh, good things? Stephanie. Um, I got Acts 24.16. Which says? So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. That's 2 Corinthians 10.5 and 6. All right. What's that say? 2 Corinthians 10.5 and 6. We demolish arguments and every contention that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Yes, take captive every thought. Amy Shear did a, mm-hmm. a seminar on that years ago at a, at a leadership weekend. It was awesome. Uh, Proverbs 15:26. The Lord detests the thoughts of the wicked. Those of a pure pleasing to him. Wicked thoughts detested. <coughs> pure thoughts. Um, Romans 12, 3. 
says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you should, but rather think of yourself as sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. That's great. And right before what Pete said last week, being transformed by the renewing of your mind, you know, that's transforming your thought life. How did you? Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? There you go. Awesome. Um, Isaiah 41.10 So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Love that verse. Mastering fear. Second uh, Timothy 2.22 Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Awesome. Um, I'll cut it off there, uh, just because we got so many. Uh, but yeah, the other one I heard a lot of people say, Philippians 4.8. Um, I can't even begin to quote it. Whatever is pure, noble, admirable, Awesome. Yeah, great verse. Uh, every week, whether it's in your Bible study or whether it's in your accountability, you need somebody asking you, what is your thought life like? What are you thinking? Why are you thinking these things, as Jesus would say? Um, uh, those verses that you looked up with, memorize them. Do that in your accountability. If you're, if you're struggling uh, to, to control your thought life, memorize verses about controlling your thought life. That will help you. Um, real quick, let's turn to Mark chapter 2. Um, this is the story of the paralytic. Uh, we use this all the time in club. Um, they come, they lower him through the roof, and, uh, and he wants to be healed, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And a lot of times in club we focus on that guy who was lowered through the roof. I'm going to focus on the Pharisees here. Because, th- you know, for me, I relate to the Pharisees a lot better than I relate to the guy being uh, lowered through the roof. Even though, you know, I'm completely paralyzed and dead, the proudness of my heart, I relate to the Pharisees. God is in their midst uh, doing something miraculous. Healing and forgiving sins. Healing somebody uh, of somebody who is lame. Um... He comes down in verse 5. Jesus says, he saw his face. He said, your, sons are forgi- uh, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit, uh, knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, this is that if, if, uh, if, if your heart and your thoughts could be put up on the wall, like on a projector, Jesus says, okay, I can do that for you. Uh, he, uh, he knew what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Jesus asked them. He went into their hearts and he said, "He said, I can see, and I don't know whether it was their disposition, whether they're standing there being skeptical or what, but Jesus looks at them and he says, you doubt me. You have doubts. You don't believe that I am relevant in this life. You don't believe that I can answer your this problem of somebody being lame and somebody being paralyzed. Think about your life. What areas in, in, in life around you is God trying to work where God is trying to forgive sins and raise the dead and you're standing there saying, I doubt you can do it, God. I'd rather worry. I, I doubt you can provide for me, God. I'd rather lust. I, you know, God, I don't think that you really have the power to do what, what, you, what you're saying you're doing in this situation. I'd rather be afraid. And Jesus is going to look at you in your disposition, and he's going to say, why are you thinking these things? Why are you thinking these things? Somebody has to ask you that question, whether it's about late night lusting, whether it's about perpetual worry, 
whether it's constant fear of failure, um, somebody has to ask you, why are you thinking these things? Jesus did it. He's asking you. Friend of the groom needs to come along and ask that. Next one. Way too long on these. Uh, are you using your resources? Um, somebody, every time, uh, every week, needs to be asking you, how are you using your resources? And I like the, that word resources because a lot of times we'll say money and we just start getting that <laughs> stewardship of money. And for us, I don't know about you, I don't have a lot of money. <laughs> um, and so, But what I do have a lot of is time. I have a lot of energy. I have a lot of effort. Um, and every week, I believe I should have somebody asking me how I'm using my time, my effort, as well as my money. Um, Real quick, let's flip over to um, to Mark chapter 8. When people ask you, um, how are you using your resources? Are you being good stewards with your resources? What they're really addressing, and catch this, what they're really addressing is your struggle with laziness, your struggles with selfishness, and feelings of inadequ- inadequacy. Um, I don't know. Do you all struggle with using your time wisely? Like I'm on spring break this week, and I I seriously believe I I'm in like season 12 of my Madden franchise. <laughs> like just begin it. Like at the beginning of the week. Like I'm literally 12 seasons in in like a week. You think that's good use of my time? Uh, probably not. Is that true? That's that's dead serious. <laughs> Now, what, what, it's like two, it's like 2014, Madden 08. It's like six years, but still, <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, how often do you feel like, like either you're not using your time wisely, or you just don't have a lot of time? You, you say, you know. You're challenged to get up to the school twice a week, and you're like, I just, you know, with school and work and this, like, how am I ever going to get up? How am I going to find this time? I, I like I just said, I, I have very little money. How am I going to do do good ministry without money? Uh, how many people here ever pull all nighters? Feel like you're running short on energy. You have very little energy. All right, let's, <laughs> let's look at this little passage uh, of Jesus' interaction with some disciples um, about their resources and see if this makes sense. Uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 14. Uh, notice that this is right after, this is the east of the Pharisee, and this is right after Jesus just fed the 4,000. If you go back a couple chapters and 6, he fed the 5,000. Here we go. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast, the Pharisees, and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another, and they said, It's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? <laughs> Which is awesome. Like, you know, like, like, if, like how often does somebody ask you what you're doing ministry while you're like, I just, I don't have any time. Why are you talking about not having any time? You, you know, you, you're like, you're like, um, you know, did, did you, uh, did you take those students out to see that movie? And it's like, I can't take that student out. He's, he never has money. I always have to pay for him. It would have cost me twenty bucks to take that kid to dinner. And dinner. Why are you talking about not having any money? Why, you know, why do you talk about not having uh, any energy? If you look at, at those other two stories, in both of them, Jesus says, "How many loaves do you have?" 
You got five bucks? Find something to do with this kid in five bucks. You got half an hour? Find something to do with your students. Um, but it's like, uh, I love that. Jesus, aware of their sin. Why are you still talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have ear, eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to fail to hear and don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand how many basketfuls did you pick up and when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand how many basketfuls did you pick up seven do you still not understand like every week in your accountability in your bible study somebody needs to be asking what did you do with your time how much Madden did you freaking play? How much? Uh, how many times did you sit up till three in the morning doing absolutely nothing? Where if, if you had just gone to sleep at a reasonable hour, you would have had so much more energy the next day. We have to have people asking us those questions. Jesus did it. He asked the questions. We need to ask those questions. Uh, I would I would encourage you look up scripture sometime on being good stewards. Not just of money, but of time, of energy, of, of your home, of your car. Um, how many times did you have students over in your apartment? How many times did you have students? All those things. Be open-handed. Uh, be a good steward of your resources. That's another question from Jesus. Um, the third question from Jesus uh, on accountability. How are your relationships within the body? How are your relationships within your team? That's how I worded it, because... Most times, that's where we're at. Um, something that when I when I meet with somebody for accountability, and this is just something I'm passionate about, I say, "How is your relationship with your co-leaders?" Um, it starts there at your school. Um, the the success of your ministry, as far as club, camp, discipleship, campaigners, will go back to your friendships and your unity within your team. If you're divided at the center, it doesn't come together later. That makes sense. If you're divided in the center, it just gets more divided as you get farther away from it. That makes sense? So um, I would always have somebody asking me and asking other people about your relationships within the body. Um, look up scriptures uh, on your own sometime about unity within the body. There's a ton of them. I encourage you to do it. Um, but here is a passage of where Jesus addresses this, um, sort of. Oh, yeah. And struggles uh, as far as your... As far as disunity in the body, uh, these are your struggles with anger, struggles with hatred, struggles with pride, gossip, and self-righteousness. Why are you laughing? Okay. Uh, I'm just trying to hit all this stuff. Um, uh, Okay, Mark chapter 9. Flip over a page from where we just were. I love this passage. In the beginning of Mark chapter 9, Jesus takes a few uh, select uh, disciples up on the mountain of transfiguration. They, uh, I love this scene. It's a great picture of a mountaintop experience. No pun intended. <laughs> if you ever want to talk to your kids about what it's like coming back from camp, come to the Mount of Transfiguration. You see Jesus' glory. He's revealed in all his greatness. They come down off the mountain, and immediately there's a boy with an evil spirit that the disciples can't heal. How, how often do we do that with students? We take them to camp. They, they experience Christ like they've never seen it. They come home from camp, and there's that old girlfriend. There's that old boyfriend. That boy with the evil spirit that we just can't shake. Those friends. Um, awesome little illustration there. But, nevertheless, the point of this is the disciples. They are um, dealing with this boy with, 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 the, um, with the evil spirit, and then they leave there, and they start to go to Capernaum. 
And if you think back of what they've seen here for nine chapters of Mark, the Mount of Transfiguration for some of them, uh, you know, walking on water, calming the storm, the loaves, feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000, they have seen Jesus in all his glory. They have, they have seen him fulfill the claims to be God. They have seen him do miracles upon miracles. <clears throat> they have seen how great he is. As the bride, they should want to please him. But what do they do? If you look in just two verses, we don't read this whole passage. Um, chapter 9, verse 16, um, <clears throat> Jesus says to them, What are you arguing with them about? The disciples are arguing with one another. He says, What are you arguing with them about? A man in the crowd answered, There's a, there's a boy with an evil spirit, um, and we can't cast it out. And Jesus goes on to tell him, well, it can only come out by prayer. Basically saying, you're not great enough to do it, I am. Why are you arguing about this with one another? They leave there on the road to Capernaum. And it says in verse 33, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. <clears throat> on your teams with one another... How much pride is there? How much gossip is there within leadership? How much uh, how much greatness are we wanting for ourselves and not giving to God? Um, Jesus asked them, why are you arguing about these things? Why are you concerned about whether you have the power to drive out a spirit or whether they have the power to drive out a spirit or whether I have the power to drive out Why are you arguing about that? Why are you arguing about you, James and John, Who's the greatest? Why are, you, why are you arguing about that? You're just up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Didn't you hear his voice? I am God's son. You know? You saw Elijah's, Elijah and Moses? Like, why are you arguing about which one of you is the greatest? You know? Think about that within your team sometimes. Do we get jealous of who's giving the club talks? Do we get jealous of, of whose house we're always hanging out with? Or, at, or which leader gets the cool kids and which leader kind of gets the not so cool kids? Seriously, I mean, don't we don't we we feel these sometimes the unity? Uh, what what are you arguing about? How are the relationships within your team? Um, those are three questions um, that I've seen Jesus ask to his followers. That I feel like on a weekly basis we need to have an accountability partner or a Bible study or somebody we're close with asking us. Obviously, there's tons of others about your quiet times, your scripture memory, all those things. But I think your thought life. Your resources and um, and your relationships with your team are three big ones, um, and I love that. I challenge you to go through uh, some of the gospels and look at um, some of the other questions Jesus said, like "Why are you so afraid?" It's um, a great one. When uh, uh, or even some of the questions they ask Jesus, "Don't you care?" <laughs> like there, there's just all kinds of good stuff on that. Um, but we'll sum it up with this: We talked about the bride. Our goal is to please Him. We've talked about the groom, Jesus, the greatest teacher ever, and his questions. What about our role as the accountability partner? What is our role in asking somebody the tough questions? The bride is supposed to want somebody asking the tough questions, but then how often do we meet in our Bible studies or for accountability and we say, so did you struggle with lust this week? And they're like, oh. And you just know that you're like killing this relationship every time you ask them the tough questions that tough question and for me that that's a tough that's a tough answer um, it's tough to be the person that asks the, the tough questions
it's tough to be the friend of the groom, the megaphone for Jesus to ask the questions, the megaphone for God's voice. It's tough to be that. But we have to have courage and do that. I'm going to give you a quote. Um, I'm going to give you a quote from a perhaps the greatest accountability partner ever. And you guys can see if you can figure out who it was. <laughs> he must become greater. I must become less. Who said it? John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a friend of the groom. He was a friend of Jesus. He came before Jesus. And what did he come to do? He said, I have come to prepare the way for the Lord. That is your role as the accountability partner. You are to speak questions, to speak truth into that person's life so where in their heart they are prepared for the Lord's voice. Um, I know that's kind of a stretch. Uh, let's see if we can do it. It says, John the Baptist is the voice of one calling for you. Prepare for the Lord. This is our role in holding others accountable. Uh, we don't have to be the voice of God. How many people like, like feel like when you're in accountability that you just have to give advice? Like when like somebody confesses to you and says, no, I'm really struggling with this. Well, here's what you need to do. That's how I am. I don't know. Like you can ask Ben Brzezinski. We met uh, for accountability for a long time. And I gave him like the worst advice in the world. <laughs> it's probably hard for not accountability partners anymore. Uh, no, I, uh, we, we, but we would meet and he would say, I'm really struggling with this and this. I'd be like, well, here's what you got to do. And it's like, who am I? I'm an idiot. <laughs> don't listen to me. Listen to God. Um, my role, our role as the accountability partner is to ask those tough questions. Meet with your partner or your Bible saying, say, these are the questions that I want you to ask me every week. Then, as the partner, you can just ask those questions and not overstep your boundaries. Um, don't be concerned with giving advice and, and being the next Dr. Phil or Oprah. Um, you don't have to be that. You just have to ask the questions, point them to Scripture, and let God speak. Uh, speaking of Oprah and Dr. Phil, I was reading, I was surfing the net for some blogs this week, uh, I think it was, and I found this blog of this lady. It's www.livingoprah.com, livingoprah.com, and uh, she has committed one year to doing exactly what Oprah says. For one year, she is going to live and do exactly what Oprah says and see if it makes her life better, richer, more fulfilled. <laughs> really funny. Funny blog. LivingOprah.com um, um, <laughs> As you have the bride who wants the questions asked. We have Jesus who all through the gospel has modeled all kinds of questions for us to ask. As a friend of the groom, we don't have to give him advice. We just have to be the megaphone for which God can speak to prepare the way for the Lord. Let's go and um, let's go read that actually. Uh, John chapter 3. It's towards the end of John 3. Actually, it's right after... Um, 28. John 3, verse 28. You yourselves can testify that I said, this is John the Baptist talking, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, which is awesome. As the accountability partner, we don't have to be God. Let God be God. Uh, I am not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. 
The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. That is us uh, as the accountability partner. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become later. I must become less. As the friend of the bridegroom, as the accountability partner, we are to ask those tough questions that Jesus is modeled for us, listen for his voice. And when you see that voice come in and work in somebody's life, like how, how often have you guys heard Rick talk about how precious his accountability with Evan Griffin is? You know, he, he will just brag on that time after time. Because as an accountability partner, when you man up, have the courage to ask those tough questions, and you see God's voice come in and work and transform people, that is when you will have joy. And I love what John the Baptist says. That that joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become later. I, he must become later. I must be early. Uh, he must become greater. I must become less. That's our role as, as the accountability partner. We will decrease. Jesus will be big. We'll ask the tough questions. They'll want to ask the tough questions. I hope that makes sense. That was all over the place.